0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Omniverse podcast. It's been a great week. I've been getting a lot of good feedback on the stories that I've put out so far. People are helping to get the word out. So all I want to say up front is if you can continue to help me tell people about these stories and the people that are behind voicing them, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, As well as uh, if you like the story, as well as going over to Smashwords or Amazon uh, there'll be a link in the show notes uh, to review the stories based on the podcast. The, the text of the stories is the same, so you are certainly getting the complete experience, uh, and you could also buy it while you're there uh, if, if you like what you hear. So this week we have Compass Rose. Uh, it is one of the stories in the Children of Legend series, and I really enjoyed writing it. I, I'm, I'm enjoying writing this whole series about these superpowered uh kids and this is basically the last prequel story before we start getting into the actual stories themselves so this is the origin story of one of the kids who's a protagonist in this universe as such, uh, I want it to be a standalone story uh, and, and an introduction to the character, but understand that it is uh, only the beginning, and you'll get more from Rose, uh, voiced by this week's reader in the future in this feed, as well as in ebook format. So, let's tell you a little bit about who's reading for us this week. R. Taylor is the creator of TransRelating, a podcast for sharing experiences and answering questions about being transgender at TransRelating.com. You can also find him nattering away about all kinds of things on Twitter as D-Dog. For more of his voice work, check out Paulette Jackson's YA fantasy, The Empress Sword, and Nobilis Reed's erotic science fiction novel, Scouts. Eventually, he'll get around to putting out his own patio book, but in the meantime, one of his short stories is available in the charity erotica anthology, Coming Together in Flux. So that is who our guest reader is for this week, and here is the story Compass Rose by Scott Roche.
1: I heard the screaming as I left the school by its back door. There was no way for me to resist going to check it out. It was a scream of abject terror in a high-pitched voice. Such screams tore from my own throat on more than one occasion. I cursed the decision to wear the long gypsy skirt today. As cute as I think I looked in it, it got in the way of an all-out run. Still, I pushed my body as hard as I could. The playground was only a few dozen yards away. School was out for the day, and the kids in lower grades should all be on their buses while on their way home. Older kids like me might still be around, but it would be for organized after-school activities, not for random play or climbing monkey bars. Most eighth-graders believed themselves to be above such pursuits, even though swinging was the closest thing to flying that many of us would achieve. In spite of my skirts and the nonsensible but lovely sandals Mom had given me, I got to the fenced-in playground in good time. A couple of my classmates stood over the prone body of someone much smaller than they were. As I got closer, I recognized them. Ben was a tall blonde, the handsomest boy in Mr. Lester's biology class. The second boy was Jackson, my terror since third grade. I saw Jackson get one more kick in as I ran up. Get off of him! My voice picked that instant to crack. The pair looked up from their victim. Ben had the decency to look guilty. Jackson just looked annoyed at the interruption. Well, well, if it isn't Ross the Busybody. Jackson's lip pulled up into a sneer he probably practiced in a mirror. It's Rose, you moron. Getting most people to acknowledge my new name had been difficult to say the least. People like Jackson probably never would. "'Now, what are you doing to...' I looked to the ground and was shocked to see Dawn. She was the sixth grader I had taken under my wing. Still a tomboy, she came to me a few times about the way I dressed, and we talked a lot about choices. I saw a thread of bright blood trickling down her upper lip. I'd often heard of people seeing red when they were angry. I thought it was just a figure of speech until that day. I planted both of my hands on the short fence and somehow made it over without getting caught.' It was one of the few times I was grateful for the testosterone I had raging through my system. My first target wasn't either of the two bullies, though. I went to my friend and knelt by her. She opened her eyes and scrubbed at them with a bright green sleeve. She had been crying for a long time if the redness was any indication. Rose? Her voice was thick with snot. It's okay, sweetie. I'm here. We're going to get you some help. Just lay still for a few minutes. I stood, not coming anywhere close to either boy's height. So, what's going on here? You guys run out of things to pull the wings off of? Ben flinched. Jackson balled up his fist. Nah, we were just hanging out and this little queer got too nosy for its own good. I drew back at the smell of cigarette smoke on his breath. Sneaking a smoke out behind the school and you got caught. No reason to beat up a little kid. She was uh, gonna tell the teachers. Things got out of hand. Ben bent down as though to help Don up. You leave her alone and get the hell out of here before I finish what she started. I saw Mr. Reed up by the shop class. He could be here in two minutes, and you two would be out of school for the rest of the year. No, you can't do that. I won't be able to run track, and we're doing good this year. His world was all about the asphalt oval. You can't tell on us. She'll be okay. I won't tell if you just get lost. Jackson punched Ben in the chest. Come on, big guy, let's leave these two queers alone. He looked down at me. I'll talk with you later. I felt certain talking was the last thing he wanted to do. The boys turned and left the yard, and I stooped down again. Can you stand up, buddy? I rested one hand on her shoulder. I... I think so. If you help, I could tell she was going to have a black eye at least. The nosebleed wasn't bad. The way she winced when I got to her feet meant she had a few bruises around her ribs. Together we eased to the building. Don stopped us halfway. You're not going to tell, are you? Do you want me to? No, I think that would just make things worse. There was a lot of wisdom there. Even then, I realized how horrible the truth was. Both of us had seen movies and heard talks about bullying, but on the schoolyard tattletales always paid double. If I told, she would get another beating whether she did or not. I'll leave it up to you. If you tell, I'll say I saw everything. If you decide not to, then I won't either. Mr. Reed was still talking to the robotics teacher. When they saw us come in, Mr. Reed said a word I'd never heard him use in class. We were whisked to the office in short order, Don claimed she had fallen from the monkey bars. The look Principal Mayhew gave her was incredulous, a word I didn't know until much later. My class would all know by the summer of our sophomore year that her previous husband had beaten her more than once. That's why she was a miz now. Once everything was calm, I excused myself. Are you sure you don't want one of us to take you home? I shook my head. No, thank you, Mr. Reed. I only live a couple of blocks away, and there's still plenty of light. Okay, but be careful. I nodded solemnly. In a world where you could get a beating for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, though, no amount of care was capable of protecting you from getting hurt eventually. I left by the back way again. There was a shortcut to my house through the woods at the edge of the school property. I could get there in around eight minutes. I stepped carefully, trying to avoid briars and hidden sticks. Four minutes into my walk, I got to the thickest part of the woods and smelled smoke. I looked around for the source, worried someone had gotten careless with a match. I felt something hit me between the shoulder blades, at the same time I saw a movement as someone stepped from behind a tree. All the air left my lungs in a whoosh, leaving me unable to scream. I had the misfortune of falling face-first into a nasty patch of thorns. They were tiny, but clung to my skin and hair tenaciously. I drew in a breath, nearly choking on a sob of pain. Whatever it was my attacker used, a tree branch or a baseball bat, worked its way up and down my back and buttocks. Off balance and unable to turn over, I tried hard to curl up into a ball. The last thing I remember was a thump as the weapon landed near my head, and the sensation of meaty hands pulling at my clothes. I was in and out of consciousness for what felt like forever. Pain was the only constant. My whole body felt tender, like a sunburn I had gotten a few years ago, only worse. The tenderness wasn't as bad as the clogged nose, which in turn wasn't as bad as the sharp pain when I tried to breathe. These fleeting moments were intercut with dreams, twisted by the drugs I was on. Things with too many teeth or too few fingers chased me through torturous underground passages. All of those things had red hair. Finally, my eyes opened, and I was able to keep them open, Mom sat nearby, trying to knit and failing. She looked up and her eyes widened. Baby! She dropped her knitting and rushed to my side. I knew it must have been bad. Mom! The word came out a little mushy. My tongue was thick. Take it easy, Rose. You rest. I looked down at my body covered by the bedsheet. Now I was conscious, even if I was still hazy around the edges, I could feel the sunburn feeling over most of my body. I wore a gown, but I could also tell that my ribs were taped up. I put one hand to the cannula up my nose. What happened? One of the teachers found you out behind the school. Had you been smoking? I tried to shake my head and instantly regretted it. No, Mom. You fell down in the ditch and all the grass around you was on fire. There was a tremor in her voice I didn't like. Your face was scratched up by the fall, and you have some cracked ribs. You've also got some first-degree and a few second-degree burns. I ran my hands over the bandages covering my arms. Then I touched my face and found more gauze there. My vision blurred for a moment. You'll be all right, sweetheart. Falling in the ditch probably saved your life. We can talk about what happened when you're better. Just close your eyes and... Get some sleep." I closed my eyes, but sleep was far from me. Whether I ended up in the ditch because of Jackson or in spite of him, I didn't know. I was certain he was responsible, though. The question became, do I tell on him or not? I didn't know for a fact it was him, but didn't know who else it could be. The boy had made my life a nightmare for years. Even before I started to discover who I was inside, I had always been the butt of jokes and mistreatment. He was the ringleader for most of it. There was almost never physical abuse, other than the occasional shove or unnecessary roughness when we were forced to play some ball game. The majority of it was just sheer meanness, name-calling, knocking books out of my hand, and defacing any of my property he could get his hands on. If he tried to kill me, a thought I couldn't comprehend, then telling on him wouldn't keep me safe. Of course, if he had tried to kill me, was he capable of doing the same thing to Don? I needed to find out. First, though, I needed to get well. Nurse Potter came into my room later that day. Her look held a mix of pity and concern. She addressed my mom first. Ross's injuries should heal quickly. He has a few cracked ribs, so you'll need to make sure he stays still as much as possible. The burns on his hands and feet are painful, but the antibiotics should keep the possibility of infection down. The rest of his burns will fade after a few days. She turned to me. You'll need to be careful, young man. The doctor will write you a note excusing you from school for two weeks. You will need to take it easy for at least a month, though. I nodded. Yes, ma'am. How long will she have to stay in the hospital? The woman looked confused and then shrugged. He'll be discharged later this evening. Keep a close eye on him, and if you notice a reaction to any of his meds, call your family physician. Mom's mouth dropped open. Only a day? But she's in so much pain. Sorry, ma'am. The doctor doesn't see any reason to hold him... to hold her any longer than that. That's my insurance, isn't it? Mom smacked her fist into her hand. I'm sure I don't know, ma'am. She excused herself and left us to get ready to leave. I left the hospital in a wheelchair, thanks to the burns on my feet. I wouldn't walk for a week, at least. Those and the burns on my hand were the worst. I wheeled into my room at home, welcomed by my Care Bear collection and a host of get well cards and balloons. The best one was from Dawn. She made a card out of a sheet of poster board and covered it with transformer stickers surrounding her own drawing of she and I holding hands and smiling. I renewed my vow to keep my mouth shut, but I also promised myself I would deal with Jackson on my own. When I saw my face in the mirror at home, something my mom wouldn't let me do at the hospital, I plotted his downfall. Most of my hair was missing, and large blisters covered my forehead and cheeks. Mom must have been watching me from the door. The doctors promised there wouldn't be any scarring. Just give it time. Close the door, Mom. I pressed at the skin around the blisters and hissed in pain. I heard the door click shut behind me. I didn't sleep well that night. Mom made me take some pain pills, and while they put me out, the dreams came back. The next few days were just a cycle of sleeping, hydrating, plotting, and boredom. Mom worked at the factory, pulling double shifts to take care of the medical bills we'd run up. I factored her labors into Jackson's bill. I never wanted to hurt anyone as badly as I wanted to hurt him. Not just for me, but for Dawn. Or at least, that's what I told myself. The fifth day in, cabin fever gnawed at me. When the doorbell rang at 3.30, it shocked me out of a fugue state. I rolled to the door and peeped out of the front window. It was one of my classmates, Mark. He was a shy boy, my age, and until the last six months was something of a recluse. Lately, his self-imposed seclusion had changed. Now he hung out with a cadre of geeks he called his board. They weren't the smart kind of geeks, either, just students who didn't fit in much anywhere else. He had a box wrapped in gaudy paper under his arm and a blue backpack over one shoulder. He must have seen the movement at the window, and he waved to me. I rolled over to the door, and after some gymnastics, managed to open it. Hey, Mark, come on in. I touched the black wig I wore, straightening it. It was one of Mom's, left over from when she had been on chemo. It didn't fit me as well as I would have liked, but it was better than what lay underneath. I also didn't feel my best in the bathrobe and gray sweatpants I had on. But what was a girl to do? Hey, Ross. Uh, Rose? He sketched a little wave and came into the room as I wheeled back. I hope you're doing better. I forgave him the stutter on my name. Mostly. Still a little groggy from the painkillers. I flexed my hands. I can hold a pen now without much problem." He winced. "'Your mom spoke to some of your teachers, and I volunteered to bring you some stuff to work on.'" He put the box down and unshouldered the pack. I wondered why he had volunteered. I had friends in class closer to me geographically and emotionally. "'Thanks.'" He laughed. I must not have sounded very thrilled. "'It's mostly busy work.'" I felt the fog in my brain intensify slightly. I'll do my best to get some done. I don't think there's a rush. He took a few books out and put them on our battered coffee table. Satisfied they weren't going anywhere, he zipped the pack back up. I also brought you a little something. Oh gosh, man, you didn't have to do that. I did, actually. It comes with a string or two attached, though. I wheeled backwards a few turns. What? I didn't get a bad vibe from the kid, but I felt suddenly vulnerable. "'Well, this is a pretty special gift,' he paused. "'I'm not handling this well. I don't mean that the way it sounds.' He focused, really concentrate for just a second. "'I'm not going to do anything to you.' I rolled back some more. "'I just wondered if you'd want to join the board. You can have the box either way.' I looked at him, trying to see through him to the person underneath. I was good at that. I noticed he put special emphasis on the word, "'box,' I could have the box, not I could have what was in the box. Things went from weird to interesting. I might be willing. What's in it for me? I closed the distance between us. Protection. I think I know what happened to you wasn't an accident. Scratch that. I know what happened to you wasn't an accident. When you come back to school, you'll hear people think you were out smoking and caused the fire that burned you. The rumors explained mom's question. You don't buy it. Why? You're not a smoker. Also, the person who started the rumor is one of Jackson's running buddies. I think that's about enough reason right there. He towed the box closer to me. Have a look. Then we can talk some more. I did what he said without thinking, like I was following an order. I had it mostly unwrapped before I realized that. It made me a little queasy. This kid wasn't charismatic exactly, but there was something about him. The gaudy paper revealed a plain, whitish plastic box. I turned it over in my lap a few times. How do you take off the lid? I looked up at him. You don't. Just look into it. I shrugged and looked, trying to see into it the way I saw into Mark. After a full 30 seconds, it flashed deep in its center. The colors gradually overtook the box and spilled out of it to fill the room with a tangible presence. I had a brief thought that my pain medication was getting the best of me. The light seemed to have a weight to it, putting pressure on me wherever it touched my skin. I'd never experienced anything like it before. A few more seconds of the psychedelic light show passed before I noticed the box itself had gotten larger. Where it had filled only half my lap before, now there was no room for anything else. It continued to get larger, but instead of pushing its way off of me and onto the floor, it surrounded me. It grew around me like expanding foam. I could still move my limbs, though it felt like I was swimming in taffy. Panic swelled in my chest and I looked up at Mark. His knowing look intensified the feeling. He had known something like this would happen. What this was exactly, I couldn't tell. I tried to stand and fight against the phenomenon, but there was no way out. My whole body was gradually subsumed by the flashing colors and warm pressure. I turned my head and could make out the vague shapes of the room outside the world of the box. Everything looked larger, and I realized I had left my wheelchair behind and I was standing, though I couldn't tell what it was I stood on. There didn't seem to be anything under my feet but light and motion. The panic and rapid breathing gave way to curiosity and wonder. I now saw a few colors I didn't have names for. Some of them had tastes, and others had physical textures. I had broken into a run, looking for a way back to my room, but there was no sense of direction. It was like sprinting through a field of crazy quilts. Finally, in the distance I saw a figure. It grew larger, but without a frame of reference I wasn't sure if that was because I was getting closer or if it, like the box, was just growing. It was humanoid, but it was soon obvious it wasn't human. The number of digits wasn't right, and its face reminded me of aliens. There was no nose ridge and all of its features smoothly blended together, as plastic as the white box seemed to be. When it spoke, its voice was neutral in tone, but musical. Hello, Rose. The sense of well-being that had overcome me was replaced by the stab of fear I felt when Mark first approached me. How do you know my name? The one you call Mark told me. What are you? The who didn't matter as much. I am a person like yourself, though the world I come from is farther away than you can imagine. We have come to your planet to help. Fear now mixed with anger. You can help me by putting me back in my living room. Then I will help Mark out of my house. I understand your anger. The thing's tone struck me as condescending. You don't understand anything. Let me go. It nodded. I will, soon enough. I must first help you, whether you want to be helped or not. It swung its arm toward me slowly, and a sudden and pleasant warmth filled my brain and my chest. With that sensation, I knew a few things for certain. This wasn't a drug-fueled hallucination or one of the weird dreams I've been having lately. The alien was as real as I was, and it was changing me, with the idea of helping me to help it. Humanity was in danger, and was being given the tools it needed to fight a forthcoming battle. It all sounded like the plot to the creature features my mom and I would watch on the weekends, but that made it no less real. The warmth left me. It is finished. What have you done? Certain members of your race have unrealized potential. We have unlocked this potential. You will use it in the forthcoming struggles you will face. The creature grew smaller. What if I don't want to? I yelled at it. No longer angry, but defiant. There was no undoing what had been done to me, but I didn't have to accept it. That is your choice. Colors faded, and I felt like I was being pulled backwards, slowly but inexorably. I didn't move my feet or legs, but I could see the vague shapes of my living room furniture moving closer, getting smaller. What could have been minutes or hours later, I found myself sitting in my wheelchair, and Mark had the same look on his face. I wanted to smack him, but before I could make a move in his direction, any ill feelings were replaced by sheer amazement. I could see pieces of the world I hadn't been able to before. Some of those colors and textures revealed to me by the box were still evident, and I knew I could tweak them with my mind. What was that? I remembered everything the alien told me, but in the harsh light of reality it all seemed just out of reach. Righteous, huh? When I looked at Mark again, I felt a fear I hadn't before. Colors leaked from his eyes, like runny prismacolor mascara. I could also make out colored light radiating outward. They revealed parts of his character I had been unaware of until now. I knew he wouldn't hurt me, but I also knew I didn't want to be part of his board. He wasn't physically dangerous, but had a desire to control everything and everyone in his circle. Ah, uh, yeah, righteous. Look, Mark, I've got a lot to think about new powers bestowed on me by beings not from this planet and all. Saying it out loud made it seem foolish and more real at the same time. Thanks for the present. I wasn't at all sure I was grateful. His eyes narrowed. You're welcome. One of the things I could see was capital T truth. It wasn't like being a mind reader, but I knew he didn't mean it. When I'm back at school, we can talk about the board thing. Yeah. Yeah we'll do that. We both knew we wouldn't. I knew we wouldn't be enemies exactly, but we would never be friends. He was a user and a bully in a way more subtle and dangerous than Jackson could imagine. That was a truth. Someone else will bring you more work after a few days. I hope you get well soon. He nodded at me and let himself out. The rest of the day, I sat and thought about what I had been entrusted with. As I molded that over, I could see the titles on the spines of books change to reveal their actual contents. Advantages of math became hours of drudgery, for example. My mind literally painted the walls in random colors and patterns. The bending took a lot out of me. Even little changes brought a wave of fatigue. With time and practice, I knew the effect it had on me would change. Eventually, maybe years down the road, I'd be limited only by my imagination and mental endurance. Someone like me, someone who saw the truth underlying the universe and could shape it, would be able to pull the wool over other people's eyes, their ears, maybe even their souls. That was a lot of power, and I knew where I wanted to start using it. I'd make Jackson understand a few truths, but then I would make sure no one else knew what was going on with me until I had a rein on things. There were people out there like me, and I knew I'd have friends among them, but more enemies too. I'd need to be ready for it when it happened. I didn't want the power to make me a Jackson or a Mark, but I knew I didn't want to be a Don, either. Consider this.
0: (gasps) Now consider this. I vociferously disagreed with him. I'm not feeling too sanguine about, you know... Eating, not okay, type. now picture a character archetype hanging from every <laughs> hanger. The romantic hero type. The almost villainous protagonist type. Well, I'll be darned. <laughs> it does sound like that. <laughs> Mika, I think you I think you waxed North Carolinian there for a second. <laughs>
1: Pen Dragon variety. Usually more intelligible than a baby.